My conversation today is with Aruna Krishnan. Aruna is a management consultant, founder, and owner of Optum, and an author and host of the podcast called Lead That Thing. With over 20 years of experience in the tech industry, she specializes in helping businesses to define and deliver high-quality products and inspiring others to take on leadership roles. She has also pushed herself physically by running triathlons and marathons and seeing it transfer to success in other areas of her life. So thank you so much for having this conversation with me, Aruna. Thanks for having me, Christina. A lot of times you hear about people who write books or are coaches or speakers. And at least for myself, I kind of had the assumption that it takes a very natural and specific type of personality to do those things. Like you have to be born outgoing or confident and talkative. And to some extent, right, those certain soft skills are very beneficial in these types of careers. But from what I understand, your career in your earlier days was a lot different than what it is right now with writing books and what you're doing. Could you just share a little bit about your earlier career days and how you made the transition to what you're doing now? Sure, sure. I love sharing the story because uh, it's, it's that growth journey. I would say just growing up, it was a lot of lacking self-confidence. It's just the environment. I think it's the environment I grew up in, very sheltered. So a lot of uh, just being protected and not having that chance to explore, you know, and make my mistakes fail. So uh, when I got into the real world, say after high school, it was then starting to learn what's really out there. And people had a lot more street smarts than I did. So it, it, it took a long time to really believe, you know, in myself. And then, uh, and actually it, I would say it took a conscious effort for me to say, well, do I like the quality of my life, right? With some of that self lacking of the self-confidence, the imposter syndrome, like, to the point where imposter syndrome was like preventing me from doing things. And uh, that decision to improve the quality of my life was what made me say a cliche, get out of my comfort zone and, you know, seek solutions. And, and it, for me, it all started with like a spiritual transformation, first of all, you know, like when you're in a place where you you feel stuck. Sometimes it's more about figuring out the big picture. Why do I feel stuck? And kind of getting all that cleansed and starting anew. And then when you do that, then you're like ready to go face challenges. You're more mentally prepared for those failures. Like nobody just wakes up and says, I'm going to run a marathon, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, I'm going to try and do this and we'll see how that goes. It's, it's all attitude, right? And be okay with failure. Okay with, and in quotes, failure and be okay with, you know, whatever results come. Even with the marathon, I didn't run it in two hours or three hours, right? But it's like, hey, I finished it. So great. So just being able to accept yourself and your victories and embrace all that. And that with each thing you do, you get more courage. And with the books then, I think after I did the, the marathon, the triathlon, that gave me more courage to write the books because that's really putting yourself out there. It's scary. And I know you as an author have done this. I'm sure you went through the same emotions because it's like, oh my goodness, millions of people have the potential to see this and see inside my head. But then when you, when you say that, hey, I'm trying to help people because I want that to share my journey and you know maybe help better their lives then it, it helps you set that aside 
And then when you put it out there and you get the feedback, like, hey, I really learned something, then it encourages you to do it more and more. And I think that's that's my journey with the authorship where I feel like uh, one person, two people, five people might come back and say, oh, yeah, that was a really interesting point. And so you just you're ready to keep sharing and growing as you do that. Yeah, that was one thing that I did not foresee at all, which sounds silly that I didn't expect it. But when you publish your book, the vulnerability that it takes, even though for my book, and I know your book too, in a way, we're kind of talking about our thoughts and and that's very personal, but it's not like we're sharing our journals and making it public to the world. So the vulnerability was so shocking that I was like, why am I feeling like this is hard? Like I already did the hard work because you'd think that that would be the hardest part is actually physically writing it. But what I realized is that emotional vulnerability to share that with the world. But then, like you said, when you get the response back that it did help somebody, it changes it. It makes you feel a lot better. And I don't know about for you, but I think I was expecting and anticipating a lot of negative feedback, which I think was just my mind kind of making up those thoughts. Did you feel the same way when you were publishing? For, for sure. It's like, oh, you know, I know your family will always support you. And then you wonder, like, are they just saying that because they're family? But then when people from the outside, you know, I'll go, uh, they'll say, I bought your book. I'm like, okay, yeah, share feedback. And I'm almost bracing, you know, on the inside. Yeah. yeah. But then you get that positive feedback and you're like, okay, okay, I guess I'm doing the right thing. And you have to really convince yourself that, you know, kind of, get past that imposter syndrome, right? That, that, okay, I guess that imposter syndrome, and this is something I've learned, it it drives you to do your best work. You just have to be watchful that it doesn't stop you from doing what you wish to do or what you're good at doing, right? Yeah, I feel like we have the same kind of experience, obviously a different experience, but very similar in that, like somebody would be like, oh, I had no idea you were an author. Like somebody I know for a while, I kind of keep it a secret in a way. Um, not that I don't want to share my work, and I, I definitely do, but just to kind of put yourself out there, like, I thought it'd be so easy, and, like, I would want to tell everybody that I'm an author, mm-hmm. but I, so many of my friends that I've known for a while, they're like, wait, you wrote a book? And, and obviously, the friends that I had when I had published it, which was about five years ago, they all knew, and the people who were connected with me knew then, but now I'm meeting new friends, and it's like, wait, what? Right. On that point, that. Seriously, I wasn't comfortable calling myself author until like I pu- published a second book because it's like, uh, <laughs> it almost feels like, yeah, I wrote a book. I don't know if I really want to call myself an author because you you tell yourself there are these metrics that, you know, you have to meet to really be able to call yourself an author. But then what I've come to realize is how many, the the metric is that you actually published a book and how many people get to say that they wrote and published a book, you know? So I've learned to embrace it. So to you is like, yes, you you published a book, you wrote it and you put it out there. It's there for people to see. Yes, you're an author. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. You mentioned the marathon and the triathlon that you did. And I've heard you talk before in other podcasts about how you haven't always considered yourself to be necessarily quote unquote athletic. And this kind of goes back into the imposter syndrome. Could you tell me the story of why you signed up for the marathon despite not considering yourself to be athletic because those are very two very different things <laughs> yeah i think it's uh it goes back to challenging myself right and uh, i've always gone to the gym so that's something i've uh i've enjoyed 
And then uh, I think it was by chance. I was working with this person who did Ironman triathlons. And, uh, you know, we would have conversations. I didn't know how many miles a marathon was. I didn't know how a half marathon was. I was like, well, that sounds interesting. I was like, maybe I'll, tr- maybe I'll try and train for a half marathon. And then the attitude was, well, let me see how it goes. Because 13 miles is like, you don't just run 13 miles in a day, right? Uh, I looked up this training plan. There was a six-month training plan. I'll say, And I said, well, if I feel bad at like six miles, I, I'm not going to do it. So it's just an experimentation attitude, right? It's just try things. And if it works, great. If it doesn't work, be okay with saying, um, uh, that's why not for me. So I followed that plan and I got to the half and then I was like, well, do I really want to do the full? And I thought, okay, well, let's have that same attitude. Try. And because <laughs> it's exciting because part of it is, is you build that physical strength. But at the same time, I saw I was proving stuff to myself and it was building the mental strength. And, and that's where I started to see my attitude changing, right? Like the can do attitude. Like you say, when you start doing things and challenging yourself that are uh, well above, uh, well outside of your comfort zone, then you then you really understand who you are, right? Your internal strength, and uh, so that was really good for me. So then I got through the marathon, finished, and I was like, oh my god, never again. But just like an author, I always have the twenty six point two, and nobody can take that away from me. I did it once and done. But you know, it it just uh, it's a part of my life now. So you did a, you did a couple of things, right? You did the triathlon, you did the marathon, mm-hmm. a, a lot of different athletic features. Mm-hmm. What was the hardest part of all of that? I think it's uh, it's finding the time to do it. So obviously with marathon, it's finding the time. I lived in Wisconsin at the time. And I remember, I don't know if I'll ever do something like this again, but the peak of the training was in like December where like doing the 20 mile runs and stuff like that. And I would, I would say, well, if it's over 35, I'll go out there and run outside. And so with my hat and layered and, I'm like, and now when I think back on that, I'm like, uh, I'm kind of crazy. Like, what were you doing? But I think it was just this internal motivation. I had this goal I'd set for myself and, uh, and I just, I, I have to follow through. And I think that's the thing when I start to build is like follow through, you know, if you set, uh, set this for yourself, do, do the best you can. So finding time to do that was probably the hardest part. You mentioned that that was kind of in a way a catalyst then for writing your book as well, that, that physical challenge. Take me back to the moment when you got the idea to write your first book. Yeah, so I remember it very clearly, and I share this uh, like with any time I talk about this. So I remember clearly this moment when I crossed that finish line for the triathlon. So what was different with the triathlon is that my swim was like previously it was recreational swim, like enough to survive, nothing really with form, but uh, I had to learn how to swim properly with form. And my first triathlon was like a three quarter mile swim. Right. And I remember the first day of training, I couldn't even make it a half a lap. <laughs> so, so I remember it took me a good six months to get that form and get that distance. And so when I finally crossed that finish line, it was just like this moment of realization, like, Hey, 
you couldn't even swim at the start of this and you've done a whole triathlon and this this feeling of you know i think the conclusion should be i'm talking to myself in these seconds right is anything you set your mind to you can do and that led to a job change to move to like a higher position and then in there it was like okay what is my next goal what like you know it was like this adrenaline and it was like one was okay write a book and then one was a ted talk which i haven't done yet but it's it's on the list when i when i can get my life settled here but the book was like okay yeah you know i love writing i had a, a blog and i'll write any chance that i get then the inspiration was to you know like share my growth journey and write a really simple book and then again it was like i've never done this and then luckily thanks to youtube there are a lot of resources i said let's try it see where it goes you know like started so i framed up like a little uh, structure or you know like a storyboard type of thing like it's just chapter a day chapter not chapter a day chapter a week and see is this book worthy and then and it started to take shape and then i was like wow this is really happening and then got all the resources to help me edit and and pull everything together and then it was at some point like ready ready for uh publishing and part of it was like wow did i did i do this did this really happen and uh i was like well i thought it was going to end there but then once i started to get the feedback it's like i think i need to do this i think i've found something that i'm good at and that's worth sharing just from the way that you're telling that story it sounds like you really did take it one step at a time you were like okay let me just try this out and then you know, you got that positive feedback or you kind of realized that you could do it and then you just took another step. So it was never like, oh, I'm going to write four books. And because you, you have four books now, right? Um, I have four books that I've published on my own and I was included in a in a compilation with another author as well. Okay. That was really cool when you shared the story, sharing the story about crossing the finish line, right? Like that was kind of a really, sounds like a really strong catalyst for starting your first book. So you wrote your first book, you shared a little bit about how the feedback kind of then inspired the second book and then the the rest of it. Was there anything else that really like prompted any external or internal factors that really made you say like, I want to dive in and do more writing? I think it's just a love of writing and then also starting to receive that feedback that, you know, my writing was good, like whether it was from my daughter or my husband and then my family, like, hey, and even my, I think this had a good impact on me was my my dad because I didn't do like I did my blog writing which he always enjoyed and he used to tell me oh I've saved it it was online but he's like I downloaded it and I saved it in folders and it's kind of like oh that's 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 kind of sweet but uh you know I think because I didn't as a child I, I didn't write a whole lot so my father who really enjoys reading he you know I was getting that feedback from him so I think that was just a natural next step. And then when I wrote the book and then you finish it, it's like, okay, so what do I do? And then what, what I wanted to write a trilogy because, you know, establish myself in quotes as an author. So I was like, okay, well, you know, let's think about what kind of trilogy. And so the first was rules for a busy mind. And then it was problem solving for a busy mind and leadership for a busy mind. So I, I had that rough idea. So then it led me to my second book, which was The Problems uh, Solving for a Busy Mind. And then once that was published, it happened to be the pandemic. I had like six months to look for a job. And I spent a lot of time writing the third book, which was Leadership for a Busy Mind. So 
it was uh, that was almost like another goal, like have that trilogy as an author. And then um, my most recent one was a collaboration with my daughter. We wrote a, a mother-daughter parenting book. And so that was a, a ton of fun. That was like a fun project, passion project. She's a wonderful writer. And uh, it was something we wanted to do together. We have a good relationship and wanted to share some of the things on, you know, what makes our relationship good? How do we work through some of our issues? Because something she was sharing with me, like girls her age, and this was in high school, that they don't, they don't have the best communication with their mom or, you know, they don't have the best relationship. And obviously my daughter and I may have had our conflicts and sometimes we have our conflicts, but we work through them, you know, to share some of the techniques on, okay, what's important to get that mother-daughter relationship the best it can be, you know, what what can the mom do? What can the daughter do? And is And a lot of it goes to taking the time to understand each other's perspectives, you know? So we worked on that together, which was a, a really nice project. And uh, I got to learn a lot that I didn't already know about her, like the way she thinks. And, and I think she got to know a lot about, you know, where I, I was coming from. So that was a fun thing to do. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a really unique perspective and a, a really cool way to publish a book. I think a lot of times people think like writing a book needs to be this very one either a story about their life or a story about something they learned or maybe a, a, a fiction book. I talk to a lot of people about this who are considering writing a book or thinking about it is like they feel like it needs to be this big thing. But one thing that I say is like, even if this book ends up, say, not being published or you wanted to share it with your grandkids, like how cool is that to have something that, you know, whether it's something like any of your books or even if it's a story, to be able to share that piece of you, to be able to put your thoughts onto paper that is, you know, those words then don't change, right? Especially with technology now, the way that things will change over the course of the years, whereas when you write a book, like that is your word and that doesn't change over time. So that's mm -hmm. that's a really unique book. I love that idea. When I wrote my book too, one thing that I noticed was that I actually learned so much more about myself and about the world from writing my book than the content itself. And it wasn't, it had nothing to do with the fact that I didn't put the content that I learned in there, but it's just the sheer fact that you learn so much about yourself and you learn so much about the world from writing a book. What did you learn about yourself when you wrote your books that isn't something that's currently written? I would say I'll start with the basic. Like um, I have the ability to do things that I don't know anything about. So I had no idea about publishing, self-publishing. And uh, I literally used YouTube was my best resource. Uh, and now when I think about it, how did I go in YouTube and figure out how to do this? So I think what, what I learned is, you know, I have a way to find out how to do stuff. Who are the resources I need to um, engage to help me get stuff done? And it, whether it was starting my podcast, I joined the group. We talked at the beginning about joining the, you know, podcast town and, you know, engaging resources because I had no idea how to start a podcast, but, you know, engaging the right people, asking, uh, asking the right questions. I also learned that that's, you know, doing all these things with the self-help stuff, it really aligns with my purpose. So... Uh, that's something I enjoy. I enjoy helping people. And like my podcast is also geared towards creating leaders, helping people get out of their rut. So I think it, it aligned me closer to what I would call my purpose. 
It's interesting how much information is out there and how much information is out there for free, right? Like mm-hmm. the amount of things that you can learn how to do or you've seen other people do or, yeah, and I, I agree with the resources that are available just definitely helps immensely. One theme that comes up in your book and your podcast that I've noticed is being able to use your rational and our emotional parts of our brain in the context that they're created for, which I think is something a little bit easier said than done, as opposed to reacting to, to a situation than choosing to respond. So for example, in your first book, going back to that, Stop, Wait, Go, you talk about the approach of stopping to look at a problem, then waiting, the yellow light, determining what you want to do. And then once you've done those first two steps, then allowing yourself to go. Was there a specific time in your life when you learned this or what really came up for you to dive into the importance of these things? Great question. I think it it goes back to the spiritual journey that I talked about, which which really led me to, you know, the mindfulness approach. So what I realized coming out of it, and let's just say this is two years into that spiritual journey, changing how I approach my relationships, letting the past go, changing how I approach things with my kids, or even with my husband in terms of conflict, I stopped to reflect about, okay, how, what was it that helped me change? And then in my in my mind, I reflected on it and it was like, when there's that conflict, I had to make that conscious effort, like even if I'm like fuming, right? To be like, I'm going to go to my room. I am going to go to my room. It's almost slow motion when you're first learning it. You have to really be conscious and I will be right back. <laughs> so then you go and then you basically take that time to reflect, cool off, and then you realize that, okay, things are not as bad as they seem, right? Once you cool off and like, okay, how am I going to go back and deal with this? You know, what are the questions I'm going to ask or how am I going to convey what I need to convey without with them actually listening to me? So really, so then when I thought about, okay, that's what I do. So, and, and then I wanted, when I wanted to write the book, it was, like, I need to simplify this. I can't, you know, I need to simplify it in a way that it's very relatable. So then I, the the analogy of the traffic lights came to mind. Like, you, you stop and then you think about stuff, which is we, and then, and then you go. I'm like, okay, that's very relatable. Analogies are great. And it, it, it's not really giving a lecture on mindfulness because that's not always necessarily received by every audience. It can be intimidating. So I wrote it that way. An eighth grader could understand it or someone like post-retirement can understand it, but it's very simple, no any technical jargon or anything, but just having those analogies. And I would say it, it was received very well in that way. And it was fun to write because really I hadn't even been thinking about what I had been doing. But then putting it in paper was like, oh, this is what I was doing. So it kind of flowed very easily. Did you have any physical cues that helped you with it? Because I'm thinking in the future, it's good to consider, oh, next time I have this happen to me, then I'll do this. But then I find so easy to have that future come and then we react. So did you have any physical yeah. cues that you were like, okay, now is t- I'm telling my body that I need to do this? Yeah, and I think 
but that came with time. Like when you practice mindfulness, you get in tune with your body. So a lot of times when you feel yourself getting angry or your mind racing, it's all, it's almost like a, you know, like an alert, right? Like, okay, something is wrong because you're not in that state of calm. So it's easy to, to see that and just say, okay, I probably should just take a step back and, you know, take a deep breath, watch what I'm about to say. So, and then the more you do that, it's like, it's, it's, it becomes like a practice and a habit and instinctual, but in, in the beginning, it's much more, oh, oh, okay. You know, but being in tune so that mindfulness helps you understand and uh, stop you from reacting. So would you say like meditation practices or like other specific practices that you can do not necessarily in that situation before to help you prepare? Yeah, I think that helped me. So initially I did uh, more of the more of the pure meditation because I think I, I needed that just to clear a lot of stuff, baggage. And then after that, it was more of mindfulness meditation which and and just mindfulness in general like when you're just being aware of yourself being aware of your surroundings and i think that that's just the type of practice rather than you know just letting the moment go by like be in the moment right so i, I think that's very helpful i heard somebody explaining why meditation is so good one time i it's something that i really try hard to do but they explained it really well because I think a lot of people, when they start meditating, everybody I've talked to is like, oh, it's just so hard. It's like, I can't keep my mind from going different places. But when I heard this person explain it, they were like, the whole point is to get better, not necessarily at eliminating those thoughts in your head, but the point is to get better at making that time between you recognizing those thoughts and being able to go back to your center once I understood that it's not about completely eliminating eliminating those thoughts, right? Everybody is always having mm-hmm. thoughts coming in. Some people maybe have more thoughts coming in, maybe making it more difficult. But the whole purpose to practice it is is allowing yourself to make that time shorter. And I wish you remembered where I found yeah. that it's explanation. Because sometimes you hear an explanation that clicks and it's like, oh, I should stop telling myself that this is so difficult because this is exactly how it's supposed to be. And I'm supposed to practice it until it becomes better. Yeah. I think the thing to remember, and you're right, because, yeah, people seem to think that meditation is, oh, you must not get any thoughts in your head. And I'm sure there are many types of meditation. But I think the thing to remember is just thoughts will come, but just let them pass, right? Acknowledge whatever it is, acknowledge and just let it pass. That action of letting it pass, it helps you realize the relative importance of it. Like it's a thought at the end of the day. I think for me, I'll speak personally. For me, when when thoughts did come and I was able to let it pass, I just realized that I was creating whatever stress that existed with me. And I think I mentioned that in Stop, Wait, Go, right? You can perceive a, a situation the way you want to right? It's not someone doing something to you. It's how you are perceiving that situation. And you can be in control of that situation by how you decide to perceive it or tackle it. And when you have that control, that's just amazing because you're not going to let other people, in quotes, make you feel bad. You will do something about it. You will choose the action that helps you 
get out of it or make you feel better. Something that I always knew, right? Like the theory of, oh, if I can just control my thoughts, like <laughs> I, my thoughts control my experience of the world. But finding any of these practices, right, whether it's meditation or other mindfulness practices mm-hmm. are, are what's actually going to help you be able to do that. One example I think of is a lot of times people talk about that. I don't need to get too in-depth into this, but it's, it's a little tiny detour. People talk about how nervousness and excitement are the same thing, right? Physiologically, we know that in our body, it's the same thing. And so in the past, right, I knew that consciously. And so I would tell myself in, in times when I would get nervous, oh, it's the same as excitement. I just need to perceive it this way. And as much, and maybe I just wasn't telling myself yeah. enough, but I never really like felt, like I still felt nervous. I was like, I don't know what's yeah. happening. I, I should be able to just trick my mind because the placebo <laughs> works. And I, I feel like that's how psych should work. Um, and I studied psych. So I'm like, I know my mind is powerful. Why is it not working? But when you're able to put yourself into a practice of actually making that transition, right? Like we're, we're talking about meditation, but for me, one thing that I did is all of last year, I committed to doing something outside of my comfort zone once a week. And what I had found was that I was actually able to then about three months into it. So I had a bucket list and one of the things on the bucket list was to do 52 things that scared me. So it was consistent. It was kind of like a smaller dose of this fear that I was proactively seeking. I wasn't waiting to be reactive about it. And what I started to learn was about three months in, I found that I started to physically feel the feelings of excitement when I was supposed to be feeling nervous. And I was like, oh my goodness, it is the same, but I wasn't able to learn it until I actually did something actionable. Sometimes telling yourself is great and it definitely is helpful and and a pinch. Mm -hmm. But once you're able to actually do the actionable thing to teach your body, and again, whether this is fear and nervousness or whether it's meditation and being able to come back to responding versus reacting, it's a really powerful Mm -hmm. tool when you can at least practice it even just a little bit. Yeah, perfectly said. Yeah. So was there a specific time in your life that you really noticed that change and I'm really able to respond instead of react in a certain situation that comes up? I don't think it was a specific time, but I think it was when I started to like reflect. So a couple, maybe like you said, a couple months into that transformation and, you know, with meditation, I, I could just see how I responded differently to coworkers that I had the ability to almost like, almost like an out of body experience where you're like, I see what this person is doing. And then you're like, really, you know, your, your mind is spinning and going through that process and then being able to react. So then at one point it's like, oh, I have like this out of body rea- reaction that I'm able to do this. So it came with, with time and I thought that was amazing thing. So that, that's why I stayed in that. What a wonderful skill to have, right? <laughs> yeah. Have you always meditated or did you just start at a at a certain age? Yeah. I was, no, I haven't always meditated. So it was around that time, like say, let's call it 10 years ago where I, I looked into that. Okay. What yeah. made you look into it? Yeah. So that was like uh, being at a really low point in my life where it was like you search for answers, right? And then uh, so I searched spiritually went to the library and got all kinds of religious books and uh, 
landed on, excuse me, landed on the mindfulness and then started trying the meditation because, yeah, my mind was very restless. And yeah, it, it, it helped give me a lot of clarity. And that was the starting point of all the changes, the, you know, like the, the marathons and the triathlons and the books all came after that. So I'm very different person than the person before. Like I remember a small anecdote. People who knew me as from my childhood, they came to visit me. It had been at least 20 years. And in my childhood, it was like I was very meek and like, you know, had very strict parents. And you would really see me be very outspoken. And like they came and visit me. I'm this bubbly person doing all kinds of stuff and, uh, you know, making all kinds of jokes. And they were like, wow, I can't believe you're the same person. I mean, <laughs> I, I didn't really re realize it that people would perceive me that way because I, you know, it was just something I did for myself. And then I was like, wow, okay, I guess they noticed that something's changed. And then it's this, uh, like they're showing this mirror to you that, hey, you, you have changed and whatever it is you've implemented in your life is helping you be a different person. And they noticed that after the meditation or after... Yeah, I think it was after the meditation because I think that gave me the courage to do other things. Like I was uh, MCs at the temple, like all kinds of stuff that I never would have thought about, you know, putting myself out there. So it sounds like it the cat the real catalyst to a lot of the things that you're doing right now started with the mindfulness and meditation practice. That's, yeah, absolutely. That's, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I love that because I think sometimes I want to start meditation and I like I, I've done it before. But a lot of times I'm like, oh, it just feels like something that is so passive, but it's so powerful. And I know it is, but it's so it, it feels like you're doing nothing, but you're doing so much. Right. I was going to say there's many different forms of meditation. There's some meditation where it's really sitting and experiencing your thoughts, but it can be as simple as in a red book spine, you know, Tish Not Han, where it could be as simple as you're drinking your tea or your coffee and you're just absorbed in being able to enjoy that and smell it and feel it. And here's a nice little test of being able to control yourself is if you get a notification, actually pausing, saying like, okay, I acknowledge you notification, but I'm not going to look at you for, for like five seconds, you know? Like, isn't it our instinct? Like it goes ding and you're like, oh, I got a notification, right? Like it's yeah. just like, like a little crazy. So, you know, those, trying those type of things of like really bringing that control to yourself and what you're thinking, that's also another way of doing it. Like practicing the same skill. You're really building the same muscle of just being aware of your thoughts. I love little challenges like yeah. that, which is why at the end of my episodes, yeah. I encourage the guests to create their own challenge for anybody to listen that relates to our conversation. And the only really limitation is that it has to be a very specific habit or mm -hmm. action that anybody can do mm -hmm. either today or sometime throughout the week. So do you have a specific challenge that you'd like to share? I know that I, I have gotten good at this and, you know, I, I've practiced it and it's a really good one. So the next time you have your notifications on your cell phone turned on, uh, or uh, and if you hear a ding, count to five seconds before you go pick up your phone and look at it. Or even for that matter, it, even if it's not a notification, if somebody is calling you, wait for five seconds and say, hey, I hear you calling me. 
I'm going to get you in about five seconds and see if, if you can be successful. And just hope that hope that the bringer doesn't run out for the call. You can call them back, right? Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's so yeah. true. And especially in our world now, it can be slightly difficult to not be reactive in these situations because we live in a world where even just the way the algorithms work on our phone to give us the notifications that half the time, probably even like eighty percent of the time, I get notifications that aren't important. And I've mm-hmm. gone through and tried to like make sure that I clear out the notifications that don't need to come to me but it can be difficult to not just automatically be reactive in those cases so i love i love that challenge thank you so much for the challenge and for all of the insights and stories where can people find you if they want to learn more first uh, i really appreciate you first of all reaching out to me i really enjoyed our conversation um yeah, I think the place that I'm most active is LinkedIn, and then we can put it in the notes, but that's where most people can reach me. And there's also my Amazon author page where you can look at the books that I've written if you'd like to check them out. Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on, Christina. I really appreciate it.